Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everyone this morning. We are starting a brand new series called The Characters of Christmas. We're going to dive into the Christmas story. And, you know, I'm guessing it's probably a story that it feels like we all already know. Every nativity scene tries to convey it through all the assembled cast of characters there, angels, shepherds, wise men. Who are those guys again? We'll cover that this month. And of course, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And is there a drummer boy in there somewhere? I don't know. We'll have to figure that out as we go through the story. In this series, we're reading the story afresh and finding that we too are in its scenes and among its plot. That it's not only a story about those characters so long ago, it's also about us today. So, this morning we're going to look at three characters of Christmas. First, a guy named Zechariah. You may or may not have heard of him. And then we're also going to look at Mary and Joseph. We're going to see in each of their three stories the changes that God brings to their lives and how they accepted them. So you can read all about this in Luke chapter 1 and 2. Chapters 1 and 2. If you want to grab a Bible from the Bible cart, maybe you did on your way in. There's two carts in the back full of Bibles. We're going to be starting around page 697 and sticking around in that area. And if you don't own an easy-to-read copy of the Bible, you can always write your name in the front of one of those and make it yours to keep. Now, we're going to be spending a good portion of our time together hearing these words again, straight from the Scriptures, letting the story land on us. What we're going to see as we do so is three things about these characters. First, we're going to see that Zechariah was given something to believe, and he just couldn't. That Mary was given something to carry, she accepted it. Joseph was given something to do, and he did it. And what we're going to see in these three stories is this. How we respond to God's action in our lives determines the direction of our lives. How we respond, react to God's presence, God's activity, God's movement in our lives determines so much about the direction of our lives. So let's dive in and learn a little bit about Zechariah. Zechariah doesn't show up in our nativity sets, but he's part of the story for sure. He's a real character in every sense of the phrase. And like I said earlier, he was given something to believe, and he just couldn't. So, who is Zechariah? Zechariah was a priest married to Elizabeth. Now, stay with me. Elizabeth, who was Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary's much older relative, perhaps an aunt or a cousin. So, Zechariah is a priest married to Elizabeth, who is a a relative of Mary. So, we meet them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, in Luke chapter 1. And Luke tells us both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord. They were observing all of His decrees and uh, commands, yet they were childless, and both were very old. One day, Zechariah, it says, was chosen to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense as an act of worship, part of his job as a priest. And all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So this is the scene where we meet Zechariah. In the temple, alone, doing his priestly duty, 
uh, while everyone else is just outside worshiping and praying. In verse 11, we pick it up. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He goes on to say, He will be a joy and a delight to you, because, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. So we're being introduced to a guy named John as we hear this announcement of his uh, coming birth to his dad, Zechariah. Now, John is one of my favorite people in the Bible. I encourage you to take a look at him on your own someday and uh, uh, learn more about him. But what we're hearing is that he is someone who God is going to use to make everyone ready to hear from the Messiah who is Jesus. And he was prophesied about. He was, he, the prophets of the Old Testament would talk about someone would come and do exactly that. And now Zechariah is getting the news. It's going to be your son. He will go on, the angel says, before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's an Old Testament prophet. And turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient of the wisdom to the righteous. And make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is big news. Zechariah is receiving, and it's a big change in Zechariah's life. So, at this moment, what is Zechariah going to say? Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife, well, a little more sensitive here, is well along in years. Okay? Zechariah is skeptical, even though he, of all people, should know better. The story of Abraham and Sarah conceiving in their old age by God's promise was absolutely foundational to the Jewish faith, a faith of which he was a priest. So this idea that if an angel is visiting you, not an everyday occurrence to say the least, you might pay attention to what that angel has to say and understand that you are part of that same story, a story you know very, very well. But he says, how can I be Sure, he somehow needed more. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, it says that people were waiting for Zechariah outside. In fact, he'd been there a little longer than normal, they're, so they're wondering what's going on. He comes out, and he's mute. He can't speak. They realized that he'd seen a vision. What the angel said was coming to pass even immediately. It says when his time of service at the temple was completed, he went home, and Elizabeth became pregnant. So, Zechariah was given something to believe, but mm, he just couldn't do it. All three of our characters this morning, we're going to meet them. And this is a very true story. We're using the term characters and story, but let's just be clear. This is a true story, and these characters are real people. All of the characters that we're meeting today, we're going to meet them at a point of decision. And Zechariah has a decision now between belief 
and disbelief. And you and I face that same decision, that same choice, in our own ways. And Zechariah, in that moment, chose disbelief. Just couldn't wrap his head around it. And as, as a result, he found that for a time he was muted. He was limited. And disbelief does the same to us. When we close the door of possibility on something that we sense God might be leading us toward or, or saying to us or dropping kind of into our heart, into our mind, into our spirit, when we close that door, we are in a sense limiting and, and muting all the possibilities behind that door. Disbelief does that to us. We've all been there. It happens to all of us, and it's happening to poor Zechariah here. And he's unable to speak for the next nine months. Now, that might seem harsh, but i got to tell you, I kind of get it, right? Have you ever said something and then wish you hadn't? You kind of watch your words from that point on for a little while? I can kind of feel for him because I kind of feel like God's teaching him a lesson. Cool your jets, Zechariah, and really, I'm going to give you some time to think about that thing you said. Let those words ring in your mind because what's a, what I said was going to happen is going to happen. And you're going to have nine months to realize how foolish it was to not believe what an angel of the Lord says to you when you get the chance to hear such a thing. Sometimes we go through stuff in our own lives and we wonder, what is God doing? What's happening? We might even wonder, is God punishing me? I don't think that's true. I think God often is parenting us, not punishing us. I need some parenting. Maybe you do too. And I can see that that is exactly what would be happening in Zechariah's life, because he needed a lesson. He had a lesson to learn. I have lessons I need to learn. I bet you do too. Like I said, he could talk later, hopefully, lesson learned. But I wouldn't mind it sometimes if God shut me up when I said something dumb. I really love it if he did that before I said something dumb, right? So belief is an everyday choice. A choice that Zechariah is making a choice. We make, it's not always an easy choice, but it is an everyday choice. Every day we choose to believe. Every day we choose a life of faith. And I'm not talking about having some healthy doubts. Doubt is the fuel of faith. As human beings, there are going to be days where we're going to doubt one thing or another and we need to be reminded of good truth. I'm talking about what Zechariah did, which was a pretty much a denial of possibility. Like, <laughs> if an angel is in front of me telling me something like that, and I'm still not so sure, then I've got a level of denial about what God could do in my life that is dysfunctional, right? I've kind of over, I've overdone the doubt right into denial. And I'm reminded of that phrase in one of the Psalms that says, to God, when God says, my thoughts are above your thoughts, my ways are above your ways. I need to be reminded that the divine and the eternal overrides the earthly, that my thoughts are puny compared to God's thoughts, and that if there is a God, and we believe there is, chances are really great that that God has thoughts that I will find hard to believe. That if I can completely understand God, that God is far too small if my puny mind can wrap itself all the way around him. And so that's what Zechariah is facing here. Can his faith stretch to receive this, or will he be stuck in headstrong thinking? Now, I'm the last person to say that thinking is bad, and, and in fact, there are plenty of times in our lives in which being headstrong is the right thing to do, but not when you're standing before the Word of the Lord and you're deciding that what I'm thinking is the limits of what God can do. That's a bad, that's a bad moment right there, right? And that's what Zechariah got stuck in. 
In a sense, it's kind of like what we read, it's in this, this sentiment is expressed in Proverbs in the Old Testament. It's repeated in James in the New Testament. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In a sense, this was a, a moment of pro, human pride for, for Zechariah because he wasn't sure and he, he was limited by his own thinking about what's possible. We all have found ourselves there. But God delights to give grace to the humble, which we're about to see. Let's talk about Mary and the thing that she was asked to carry forward. Mary was given this call, and she submitted to it. Now, we're still in Luke chapter 1. It says that God sent the angel Gabriel, same angel, to Nazareth to visit a young fiancé named Mary. Verse 28, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now here we have a parallel situation, right? Same angel delivering some news about a baby being born and all the kind of the destiny and the purpose of that child. Mary's receiving this news. Now we have another point. How will Mary respond? Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, it might not be evident at first, but when you stop and reflect, there's a difference between Mary's question to the angel and Zechariah's. Zechariah was asking, how can this be? And how can I be sure? His question was one of impossibility and and doubt uh, to the point of skepticism. But Mary just wants to know, how will this be? Pretty legitimate question for someone in her state. How will this take place? Not can it or, or if it would, but simply how would it take place? And the angel certainly honors her curiosity. The Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit, the angel answered, will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her, in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Now, at this point, you might be thinking what I sometimes think when I'm reading script, uh, scriptures like this, stories like this in the, in the Bible. Okay, fine, but I'm not Mary, and I didn't make it into the Bible. These, these folks made it in, right? I'm just me, and I don't have a word from God, so it's great to hear that no word from God will ever fail when an angel visits you, but that's not me either. And it's here that I want to adjust our thinking. First, you don't need to be Mary or anyone else. You need to be you. And look around. None of us are in the Bible, right? None of us made it. That was a long time ago. But God hasn't stopped working in this world and telling his story. And you and I are as much a part of that story as Mary or Zechariah or Joseph. God is imminently active in this world, knows you by name, and has things that he has in mind for you to do in this story that he's telling. And more than that, more than that, you and I have many words from God. 
that we are given His Word in a way that we can plant in our hearts and respond to words like, greater is He who is in me than he who is in this world. Words that remind me there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Words to tell me that God is for us and not against us. A word that I need to be reminded of that says, use the gift you have received to serve others. I need to hear again those words of Jesus that say, abide in me and I will abide in you. That word from God that says he'll work all things out for the good of those who love him. That word that says there is no fear in love. All those words from God that will never fail. We have no shortage of words from God. And in our faith, we can can extend and expand our faith to accept the fact that those words are true, relevant, real in our day-to-day lives. Mary seemed to know and understand this. Unlike Zechariah, Mary heard this from a posture of belief, of faith, a posture of possibility. How did she answer? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. No wonder she's so beloved. She stepped up into a calling that is beyond comprehension. She serves us as a great example of faith, that she would take this news and say yes to it. Her decision is one that we get to make too. Because listen, God wants to do something amazing in your life. And that's not just preacher talk. It's true. Amazing things like show you why he made you, use you to do good in the world, free you from destructive thought patterns and habits, teach you, teach all of us how to love, really love, other people. These, these things and, and a hundred more are the amazing things he wants to do in our lives. In her poem, After Annunciation, Annunciation is what we call this moment when the angel's announcing to Mary uh, what's going to happen. Madeline Lingle writes these lines. I just think they're really, uh, really poignant. This is the irrational season. When love blooms bright and wild, and had Mary been filled with reason, there'd been no room for the child. Man, when we're looking at the Christmas story, we are in an irrational season. Okay, we're we're beyond all the things that just make sense here. Something bigger is happening. And if we had just been limited, like Zechariah, limited by our reason, There's a lot of things that God wants to make possible that we would just end up deeming impossible. Things don't have to make sense to make a difference. Christmas reminds us of that. Something to carry. Mary accepted it with wholehearted submission. So how do we react when God wants to do something new and radical or or stretching in our lives? Even this very basic Christian truth, the Holy Spirit wants to live in you, that when we say yes to Jesus, God comes to live in us by His Holy Spirit. We think of of Mary carrying the Christ child, um, that Jesus being in her womb, we too carry, get to to house the very Spirit of God. That's part of the promise of what it means to say yes to Jesus and live a life of faith in Him, that God lives in 
us? How do we respond when we hear that point? Do we think, ah, that couldn't be. Can't prove it. Couldn't be, couldn't be me. I'm not worthy. There are all kinds of ways we could discount that. But Mary had a decision point. Her decision was accepting or rejecting her call. Friends, God has a call for every person he's ever created. He has a destiny. He has a, he has a plan. He had an idea. And that idea turned into you. That is all part of who he is to each one of us. It's our choice then to accept or reject that thing that he wants us to carry through in this world. And that brings us to Joseph, who did have something to do, and he simply did it. Now we're flipping back a little bit to Matthew chapter 1, beginning of that first gospel. And here, here in Matthew we read, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. We just read about that announcement. Now, Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. In other words, he was a stand-up guy, wanted to do the right thing. He finds that his fiance is pregnant, and so he's going to just gently end the marriage but not make a big deal about it so that no one, no one kind of disgraces Mary. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua means the Lord saves. That's why the angel said that. All this took place, it says, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now we're reaching back deeper into the Old Testament. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, here's Joseph's moment of truth. How will he respond? It says that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, I love this about Joseph, because at every point, he simply did what he was instructed. We don't even hear any words from Joseph in the story, just actions, which we all know speak more loudly anyway. He was given something to do, and Joseph did it in humble obedience. So what was his decision point? Again, one we face all the time. Joseph had a decision to make between what seemed right to him and what was right. That based on the information that the angel gave him, he set aside what seemed like the right thing to do. Certainly would have been easier, a little more socially acceptable, would have made sense to everyone around. Instead, he chose to obey and take on to himself a life with a bit, some whispers, some gossip, some scandal. That's a whole other sermon, but the whole idea of what he ended up saying yes to, he set aside what seemed right to him, and he accepted what he was told was right. By God. We are faced with decisions all the time, and these, th- these three stories illustrate the types of decisions that we face and that they faced. Decisions that we make based on being confronted by God's Word, as all three of these folks were today, are the biggest, most determinative decisions of our lives. What do we do when we hear the good news of Jesus? What do we hear when we hear the teaching of Jesus? 
and his apostles. Some decisions for us are so big that they make a lot of other decisions for us, right? If you think of your life as a decision tree, every yes means a no to all kinds of other possibilities. And there's one decision that I've made and that many of you have made, and that is the decision to say yes to Jesus. And when we say yes to Jesus, we are making a decision that ends up guiding so much of the rest of our lives. It determines so many of the yeses and the noes from that point forward. And I would invite you, friend, if you're here with me in the room or you're, just, uh, or you're with us online, I want you to know that there is a yes that you can make to Jesus today. You don't have to have all the answers or have it all figured out. But you can say, yeah, I want to learn more about him. I want to take the next step in, in following him. I want to say yes to him. If you're ready to explore that, you can always scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you. When you do, you'll find that there's a button that talks about saying yes to Jesus. And we'd love to start that conversation with you. I'd like to think that if an angel came to visit me, which has never happened, that I would like to, I, and I, I would like to think that I would say yes immediately to whatever that angel wanted me to say or do, right? But would I? Because when you think about it, and there's this great little moment in the book of Galatians where, where Paul says, hey, even if an angel comes to you and tells you a, a different gospel than the one that you've received about Jesus, don't pay any attention. Don't pay any attention. In other words, he's saying that there is a word that is that has landed on you that is the, a better word than any angel would ever get. In fact, you don't need angelic visits for this word. You have now, because we know the whole story, we know Jesus lived and died and rose again. We, we have his teaching. We, we now have the ability for his spirit to live in us. We don't need angelic visitations. We have the creator of the universe wanting to take up residence in our hearts and souls. So we have a word better than any angel's word. And how do I sometimes respond to that word? Maybe a little lackadaisical, maybe even sometimes a little dubious. That's just a fact. Maybe you can relate. And so I need a reminder like this this morning, that I'm a human being just like they were. They made some, uh, in Zechariah's case, a decision that I can really relate to, and in Joseph and Mary's case, a decision I can be inspired by in the way they said yes. What about you and me? When we're given something to believe, something to carry, something to do, whatever that might look like in your life. When you read yourself into the story, can you believe? Can you carry? Will you do whatever it is that's in front of you that you sense is the next right thing to do? I believe we can, and each day is a fresh opportunity to do so. Amen? Every time we come together on Sunday, we grab a bread and a cup, and we remember what Jesus has done for us. I'd invite you to do that here with me. When we do, what we are saying is, yeah, it's a new day. And it's the first day of a new week. And I want to come before the Lord and ask Him to help me in this new day and in this new week. I want to come before the Lord and, and say, I'm sorry for all the ways that I've been a little bit more like Zechariah. Father, forgive me. Let me become more and more like Joseph or Mary. There's this little phrase that we, we read pretty quickly, but I just want to highlight it again real quick. And that is what the prophet said a long time ago about the Messiah. They will call him Emmanuel, meaning when they see him, they'll say, God is with us. Jesus is God with us. He's made it 
possible. And so when we take the bread and the cup each week, we are saying, yes, I believe that. I, I acknowledge that he is with me. And he, he asks us that when we do that each week, we're remembering the fact he is so with us, loves us so much that he gave himself for us. Let his body be given. So let's take and eat and remember that and thank him for it. And likewise, when we take the cup, what we're doing is is honoring the touch point that he provided for us. He said, when you come together and you take the bread and the cup, you're remembering that I have made possible a brand new promise from God to you based on grace and love. I've made, made it possible through the cross and my shed blood. When we take the cup, we're saying, you are with me. Don't always feel it, but I know it's true. And thank you for that. Let's take and drink together. Now, before I pray, we're just going to do one more thing uh, before I pray, and then we'll, we'll worship in, with one last song. I want to call your attention back to these little cards that you saw on your seats. Amy mentioned it at the beginning. But we're going to take a full minute here or so and uh, grab a pen. There's some on the seat backs in front of you if you don't have one yourself. And I would invite you to just truly stop and ask the Lord, who in my life might I be able to invite to church this holiday season? Uh, whether it's some Sunday here in December or it's our Christmas Eve services there on the 24th, that Sunday. Um, who in my life, Lord, uh, might be more ready to say yes to an invitation to learn more about you than I even realize, but God knows. And something as simple as a little card with a handwritten invitation on the back that you could hand to them, you could put it in an envelope and mail it if you want to, but either way, we're going to take a second, let you pray about that, and even stop and fill it out. So I'm going to step back here for a second, give us a minute. Feel free to write a note of invitation to who the Lord brings to your mind. Lord, we do pray that you would use something as simple as these cards to extend your love to others. Uh, help us, Lord, bring to our minds, Father, uh, who you know. Uh, might be ripe uh, to say yes to you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to share this news that we see is so worth sharing, that it's changed us, it means, the, it means everything to us. So Lord, we just pray that you would use these simple tools in a profound way and that we could introduce more and more people to just how good you are. And speaking of how good you are, Lord, we ask God as that we go into this, this week ahead, that we would continually keep turning to you, keep appreciating your goodness, looking for it, finding it, and thanking you for it in our day-to-day -day lives. Lord, in the, all the little points of decision that many times end up becoming decisions between belief and unbelief, or accepting a call, or, or ignoring a call, or obeying humbly, or disobeying in pride. Lord, all those little decisions, they add up to something. They add up to our lives. So Lord, we give them all to you and we ask for your help. We need it and we're glad that you're happy to give it. We ask all this by the power of the mighty name of our Messiah, Jesus, amen.